Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. I don't know if you've kind of noticed it in our culture, but today there are more and more people that are single. There's some reasons for that. People today are marrying much later than they used to. Feminism has said that women don't need men. And American individualism has taught us to take care of ourselves. Thus, we don't need anyone else. Those may be poor reasons for singleness, but there's some really good reasons for singleness. Being single could be a very gift from God. Have you ever thought that maybe we need to encourage some people to remain single than make them feel bad because they are? See, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians, if you've been with us, and here we are yet again in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Praise God, today we will finally get out of chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40, they help us because Paul has been asked a question and several questions by the Corinthians, and he's just simply answering their questions in chapter 7. So today we kind of get to the question of, maybe the question went like this, does a Christian have to get married? Or what about unmarried women in the church who are not getting any younger? So Paul gives some suggestions for remaining single. I have to tell you that this probably isn't going to be one of those messages where some of you are like, woohoo! Because you're already married, and so you've already checked me out. Here's what I believe about the Word of God. I believe every single word is inspired. And I don't believe a single word's here by accident. So I believe that even when we're preaching on singleness, married people can get something out of it. Amen? If you believe that, if you believe in the power and the authority of the Word of God, no matter what's written to change our hearts, would you stand with your feet? Stand to your feet with me as I read today's passage. I'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 25, and these are some doozies of a verse. Verse 25, now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is what, church? Praise Him. I think then that... This is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Well, don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet, such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as those who had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as those who did not possess, 
And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord. She may be holy both in body and spirit, but the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. This is safe for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if any man thinks he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she is past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then, he who both gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. Wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But, in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. You may be seated. Jesus, please minister your word couple of things about this this morning. The first thing I think Paul teaches is I may want to remain single because of the pressures of persecution. I may want to remain single because of the pressures of persecution. He says there, I have no command of the Lord. I give an opinion. And then he says, I think this is good in view of the present distress. Now let's keep in picture and in our minds the big picture. You have to know something culturally about why this is such a big deal. Paul steps on the scene and he says, hey, listen, you are free to marry or you're free to not marry. And in that culture, he just dropped a bomb. Because family and marriage was everything. Family provided economic security. An unmarried woman in that culture was considered an outcast. She was a social failure. Paul elevates singleness and says that it's very wholesome. So maybe some of the Christians at Corinth were pressuring others to get married. So Paul says, hey, it's a good thing to remain single. If you've been blessed with the gift of singleness, it's a good thing. Well, why, Paul? First, because of the pressure of persecution. Let's examine what he may mean. Verse 25. Concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. Again, Paul is saying this is not a direct teaching which, which I received from Jesus, but it is what I'm speaking to you under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this teaching is just as inspired as the rest of the Bible. As a matter of fact, in verse 40, he says, I too have the mind of the Spirit. But he says to virgins... In other words, to those who have never been married. He says, I want you to know that it's good for you to remain unmarried. He says, he is one who is by, by mercy, he's trustworthy on this one. Well, that's really compelling. 
Because mercy means to feel compassion and sympathy with the feelings of another and act accordingly. Paul knows what it's like to be single. He can relate. He understands the difficulty of what he's teaching. He tells them what he's suggesting is good. It's trustworthy. It comes from a heart of mercy. Okay, Paul, we get your heart, big heart there, but, but why? Why? Verse 26. I think then it's good in view of the present distress that it's good for a man to remain as he is. He says, because of the present distress remains single. What is the present distress? Well, it could mean that just by being a believer, you enter into the conflict and persecution with Satan. It could very well refer to the end times. Every generation should live as though the end time is near. What I think Paul is saying here is that he knows that persecution is coming for the Corinthians. Because Paul has faced persecution every single place he ever went. And he knows it's coming this way because the gospel brings persecution. Jesus said, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. It's interesting to note that Paul was on to something because within 10 years of writing this, Nero steps on the scene and leads in one of the most atrocious persecutions of Christians known to man. Nero set a fire to Rome and blamed it upon the Christians and many of them were martyred simply because they thought that they burned the city down. Nero was the kind of man who would wrap Christians up in animal skins and then let them loose in the wild to be eaten by wild beasts. Nero would dress Christians up in clothes that were soaked in wax, and then he would either tie them to a tree or impale them on a stick and put them along the edge of his, his lawn for lights at night while he would entertain people. Paul knows that following Christ means persecution. If one is married, the problems and pains associated with the persecution greatly increase. One's family would suffer if you were beaten or imprisoned or separated or killed because of your faith in Christ. You'd have to wonder who was going to care for your family, who would teach your children, who's going to comfort your spouse. So problems with suffering would increase. and The effectiveness in your ministry would decrease. So Paul says in verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Don't seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. In other words, if you're married and now know that persecution may cause you problems, don't, don't seek to get divorced. If you're a single, hey, don't seek to get married. In context, again, we have to remember that this is speaking to those who have been given the gift of singleness or celibacy. In other words, Paul's saying, cherish the blessing of your singleness so that you can avoid the pressures that's going to come with persecution. So let's go back through it for a minute and follow Paul's logic. He says, I think that it's good for a man to remain single. That word think, that means to reckon. In other words, it means to conclude from custom or law or evidence something. Paul's looked at the current distress. He's looked at the current situation. Paul's looked at the pending persecution that's coming. And he's thought about it. He's reckoned it. He's come to the conclusion that it would be best for those that aren't married to remain unmarried because of the persecution that's coming. Maybe it would be best, Paul says, to remain single 
so that you don't have to allow your family to watch what you are going to go through because of persecution. Here's his point. A single person facing persecution is in a stronger position than a married person who has to weigh the effect that his stand will have on those who depend on him. Because in times of persecution, often one moves, one of the moves that people make who are persecuting others is to seize their family until the one holding the faith recants his faith. So Paul knew about this. Because even before becoming a Christian, Paul was the one persecuting Christians. In Acts 22.4, he says this, I persecuted this way, neither the way of Christ, the, those who follow the way of Jesus, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prison. Paul says, I know what it's like. I led in persecuting others, and it's coming your way. In Acts 26.11, he says, And I punished them often in all the synagogues. I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Paul saying, it's coming here. I know because I taught people how to do it. So Paul says, you may want to remain single because of the pressures that come with persecution. Okay, okay, Paul, I get you. But, but what if I do get married? I mean, what, what, where do you got now? That's why Paul says, secondly, I may want to remain single because of the problems in the present. Because of the problems in the present. Look there in verse 28. Well, if you do marry, you haven't sinned. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet you will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. So here's what Paul's saying. Even if you have the gift of singleness, and you get married, you haven't sinned. But if you do get married, know that not only is persecution a reality, the normal problems of just being married are going to persecute you. <laughs> there will be trouble in your married life, Paul says. Marriage is a good option, yes, but consider the option of singleness too. Why? Because there's going to be trouble, Paul says. That's super practical advice. I mean, think about it. It's hard enough to live with yourself much less another person. When two people are bound together in marriage, problems abound. It's true, marriage is great and wonderful. Paul is not downing marriage at all. He's just pointing out that marriage can solve some problems on one hand, but marriage can cause a lot of problems on the other. That word trouble, it means to be pressed together or to put under pressure. Paul is saying when you put two people together, they're going to be under pressure and problems are going to result. In the marriage, two become one, yet the likes, the dislikes, the characteristics, the emotions, temperaments, will, pride, selfishness, anger, forgetfulness. Shall I go on? It's going to cause trouble. Marriage involves conflicts, demands, hardships that singleness does not. Many come into marriage lonely, and thus they leave their spouse lonely. While marriage can help with sexual sins, it may not prevent them. Some know the trouble that this causes. Sure, singleness has its problems. Amen for all of you singles. I, I feel your heart. But it may be exceeded by the problems in marriage. So Paul says, hey, consider singleness, because I'm trying to spare you the problems in the present. It's not that no one should get married, but if you do get married, 
Just know there's going to be trouble. I want to remind you to remain single because of the pressures of persecution, the problems in the present. Thirdly, Paul says, I may want to remain single because of the passing of possessions. I may want to remain single because of the passing of possessions. Look in verse 29. He says, but this I say. Did you notice that? Did you see that? He says, but this I say. Now, you might not notice this because in English it doesn't tell you the difference, but there's a difference there. Paul has been using a word for, for the word say up until now. He said, but I say this to you. Here Paul uses another word for say. He doesn't use the same word. It, it means basically the same thing, but Paul's like this, I'm telling you. Before he would say, this I say to you, but now he's saying, but, but now I'm telling you. Very different. And the reason he's doing that is for emphasis. He's trying to make a point. He's trying to get them to understand something different. So it's this change of emphasis, and he's saying this, watch. I want you guys to quit thinking about yourself and what's going on in between your marriage, okay? That's hard enough, but watch. I say to you, brethren, the time has been shortened. Now he, he really switches the subject. But the word time there is the word kairos, and it means a moment in time as, a, as opposed to the word he could have used, which would have been chronos. And, and you know what chronos means. We get the word chronology from it. It means a sequence of events. Here Paul is saying, I'm not talking about a sequence of events. I'm talking about the event, the, the moment in time. The time has been shortened. Well, what is that time? What's well, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Everything's moving toward that one event. The time has been shortened to where Jesus is coming. And so then the rest of his argument says, because Jesus is coming, you don't need to be serving with a distracted devotion to him. That's why you probably should remain unmarried. That, that's where he's headed. That is a word that means to be drawn together, that word shortened. Everything is, is being drawn together for a moment in time, the Lord's return. So in light of that, things I ought to think important should be less so. So verse 29, but I say that from now on, those who have wives should, be, should live as though they had none. He's not saying that you should just avoid being married, and even though you're married. That, that's not what he's saying. It doesn't mean ignore your covenant responsibilities. It doesn't mean in context that you should now be absent in marriage or that married people shouldn't care for the things concerning their marriage. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that married couples are not to become so intertwined with the things of this life that they fail to seek the kingdom first because the king is coming. In other words, let me put it down where everybody can understand it. The responsibilities we have in marriage should never be an excuse for not doing the Lord's work. That's what he's saying. Too many times domestic duties get in the way of serving Jesus, and Paul is saying the King is coming. You've got to keep first things first. We see this even when we come to Christ. Some were called to Jesus, and they used marriage as an excuse to keep them from coming for Jesus. In Luke 14, 20, he said, another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason, I can't come. J Jesus knows when you get married, there's going to be some things that are just going to get in the way from you following him. Verse 30, and those who weep as though they did not weep. That's funny. With persecutions and problems mentioned above, there's going to be some weeping. But we should remember that we don't have to lose our purpose and completely shut down. Weep, yes, we should weep. 
But we can't get to the point where the weeping keeps us from serving the Lord. Then he says, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. In other words, there are many things to rejoice about. But you can't get so caught up in rejoicing over the good things that you fail to be doing the best thing. And that's serving the Lord. There's going to be plenty of things that take you away. Then verse 30, he says, and those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. Sure, we need to continue to buy things, but we can't let what we buy own us. We have to have a very loose grip on anything we possess. We can't just spend and buy everything just for us. We can't take it with us, so we must use whatever we have for the purpose of building the kingdom and storing up treasures in heaven. The things of this life aren't to be the major focus. Why? Because the form, Paul says, the manner of life, the way of doing things, the mode of existence, that, that's passing away. The form, the scheme, it may work for a little while, but it is not permanent. Listen to me. Paul is saying, even the possession of your marriage is going to pass away. Marriage is only designed for this world. It's not designed for the next. So why would you hold on to the things in this marriage when this isn't even going to last? Focus upon the kingdom. Sorrow, rejoicing, possessions, and pleasures all have a place in the Christian life, but relationships, emotions, and possessions, and pleasures become sinful when they dominate our thoughts and behavior by distracting us from being about kingdom work. So knowing that, you may want to remain single. And Paul says, I may want to remain single because of the preoccupation with pleasing. Preoccupation with pleasing. There in 32, there's 35. He says, hey, check this out. You married people. I'm one of them. You married people. Listen, you're going to be distracted from serving the Lord wholly because guess what? You're always going to be worried about pleasing your spouse. That's what he's basically saying. So, hey, you know, sweetheart, can I go to the men's Bible study tonight? Mm, probably need you to stay home and take care of the kids. Who are you going to please? You know you need to go to Bible study to grow, but you also know you know you've got to please your wife. Hey, sweetheart, I, I was thinking about maybe going on that mission trip to Peru. What do you think? Well, baby, I really needed you to stay home because we had that coming up. What am I going to do? Am I going to please my spouse? Am I going to please the Lord? I'm supposed to be on mission. I'm supposed to be reaching the nations. What am I supposed to do? Paul is saying the preoccupation with pleasing is going to be something that you're going to deal with. The distraction of being devoted to serve Christ when you are married is something you need to seriously consider before you get married. Because the only reason anybody should ever get married, listen to me, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to your heart now, is because you are firmly convinced that you can serve Christ better together than you could apart. That's what Paul is saying. This preoccupation with pleasing. And then he says there in verse 34, he says, the woman who is unmarried and is a virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord that she may be both holy and both in body and spirit. In other words, listen. Let me just shout out to all you singles in the room, man. I love you deeply, and I want you to succeed no matter what, what it is. But, but can I tell you, your singleness should not be spent trying to seek a spouse. 
Your singleness should be spent in being holy both in mind and body. In other words, you are to be so seeking the Lord that if the Lord were to bring somebody into your path that you could serve Him better with, go for it. As I've told my daughters, here's kind of what's happening in the single world. Here's, here's a good advice for you. Take it or leave it. When you're in this life, you're born again and you're seeking after the Lord Jesus like you're in a race and the finish line is out there and you stay in your lane and you focus and fix your eyes upon Jesus Christ. That's your one devotion to please him and to please him alone. And if, if while you're running down that lane, you see somebody else pass you, that's who you probably ought to pay attention to. You don't want to turn back and look who's trying to follow you. You want to find somebody who's leading you to please the Lord just like you're trying to. That's what Paul's saying. This preoccupation with pleasing. Listen, the only way that works is if you're both trying to please the Lord. It's the only way it's going to work. So be careful whom you decide to marry. Paul knew that in the distress they were going to face sufficient worries and problems without the additional concern of marriage. So so Paul is saying you you can please God more by being single as of being married and pleasing God. We're at odds. Is that what he's trying to say? No. His point is that single men and women can devote more to the work of the Lord than those who are married. Married people should be concerned about each other. But listen, here's the facts. Here's just the facts, people. Paul could send Timothy and Titus out on missionary journeys, but he couldn't send Priscilla and Aquila. You know why? Because they were married, and Titus and Timothy weren't. It's just the way it is. You've got to consider that. So if if you've got a deep call in your life, don't marry somebody who's going to take you away from that call. Find somebody who's joined you with that in that call. And Paul says he's not against marriage, but about the acceptableness of the single life, right? So then he says, I may want to remain single because of the prohibition of parents. May want to remain single because of the prohibition of parents. Look at verse 36. But if any man thinks he's acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she's past her youth, and if it must be so, that's important. Let him do what he wishes. He doesn't sin. Let her marry. But, but he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has authority over his own will and has decided this in his own heart to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then, listen, if you, if you let her marry or if you don't, it's okay, but, but keeping her single is going to be better. And, and in Jewish culture, listen, you have to understand that fathers had a dominant role in deciding whom their children would marry. Rome had the same custom. And in New Testament times, arranged marriages was the norm. So in light of the teaching on singleness, some had apparently decided their young daughters were going to be virgins to the Lord for life. So when they became, Paul says, when they become of age, when their their maritable age increases, and these daughters now want to be married, the fathers were now in a quandary. Should I break a vow I've made before the Lord and make my daughter remain unmarried, or if she reaches marital age and she wants to be married, am I free to let her marry? That's, that's the question. So many of these daughters may not have had the gift of singleness and were desiring to get married and were struggling with their desire to please the Lord and please their father. So the father has permission, Paul says, to change his mind. 
Based on his daughter's needs and based on her spiritual need, if she is of age and desires to be married, listen, you can break that vow, Dad. If she's really designed for marriage, in other words, if it must be so, the Scripture says, if if this is the way it's got to go, then go for it. But if the father says, and he's under no restraint, and he's got, he's got full con- control of his own will. In other words, his motives and everything about it is right. If he has self-control. And if he says to his daughter, I want you to remain unmarried, then she is to remain unmarried. The only thing that should change that is the, the daughter's desire and speaking with her father and now the Lord moving her maybe to be married. You see, the Bible doesn't know of our modern dating experience. The Bible doesn't know about our experimenting with each other before we get married. The decisions about who we should marry were determined by the parents. The kids always had a say. So, so here, let me just help you a little bit. Paul is saying that if a father thinks his daughter is beginning to lose her youth and the strain is beginning to show, let her marry. So here the important principle of application is this. Just just hear me. It is a good and pleasing thing to the Lord when we listen to our parents when it comes to our choice of spouse. That's what Paul is saying. Just listen to what your mom and dad have to say. Don't go flying solo on this thing. Because God still holds dads responsible for what happens to the family. We just need to listen to our parents. Don't rush into marriage if it's against your parents' wishes. Don't rush into marriage to just avoid being a spinster either. (laughs) Listen to parents. Lastly, I may want to remain single because of the permanence of the promise permanence of the promise. He says there in verse 39, he says, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she's happier if she remains as she is, and I think also of the Spirit of God. Y'all know this, right? When two people stand before each other, y'all know this. I'm not trying to shame anybody, not trying to correct anybody, not trying to make anybody feel guilty. Just teaching truth here. Listen to me carefully. We make marriage vows that says, and I will do this until death do us part. Because we get that from the Bible. Because marriage is meant to be one man for one woman for one lifetime. And marriage is until death do us part. Now, we've covered some exceptions, right? So everybody knows that. Marriage is not eternal, but it is lifelong. And this teaching on marriage made the disciples even pause. In other words, the disciples were like, Mm, If this is what it means to be married, we might want to remain single. Well, that's the point. Because in Matthew 19.10, the disciples said to him, meaning Jesus, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's probably better not to marry. I mean, Jesus' teaching on marriage stifles people. In other words, this is serious business. This is permanent. Once you go into this, there is no getting out of this. You may want to remain single if you don't understand how permanent the choice you're making is. Death is what breaks the permanence of this promise. And if the widow desires to be married after her husband dies, she's free because the the death to his part has taken place. But Paul says, if you do seek to be remarried, 
You marry only somebody in the Lord. Now, let me give you some clues about what that does not mean. That does not mean that you're free to marry somebody who's religious. I see it happen all the time. Someone who says they have faith. Somebody who says that they're very moral. What this means is that you're to only marry somebody who has a demonstrated walk with the Jesus that you know, and they have a very solid testimony of their salvation. If they can't tell you how they were saved and when they're saved, and you can't see the fruit of their salvation, you better stay away from that like you would a skunk. Now, let me just tell you, this isn't for widows either. This same advice Paul gives in, in Corinthians, and he says, it is not good for anyone to marry an unbeliever. He says, it's not good for anybody to be unequally yoked. For what does light have to do with darkness? In other words, if, listen, just take this out of marriage and just think about this in relationships, period. Anybody in the room in a relationship, period. If you were in a relationship with anybody that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, you're in deep sin. Secondly, it'll be the most unwise decision you've ever made in your life because let me show you what unequally yoked looks like. You with me? Watch this. Baby, come here. Jacob, come here just a minute. She has a baby on her lap. I'm not trying to humble you, but I know you'll volunteer for this. Just, just get on your knees for a second. Okay, now watch this. Any of y'all farming people out there, y'all know this. If I'm going to get yoked up with this dude, I'm going to put a, a yoke on my back that's got a kind of a round thing, kind of a semicircle, and then it's going to be over there on his, and they're going to chain us underneath. Right? So we've got a yoke that looks like this. Everybody with me? Say yes. Okay. Listen, if I'm a giraffe and I'm in a relationship with an otter, do you think there's going to be problems in the way we walk? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? You cannot walk together if you were unequally yoked. It will never work. Somebody will always be carrying the burden and it will be you, believer. Because this person's just going to come along for the ride. I'm telling you, you do not want to marry somebody or be in a relationship with somebody who isn't evenly yoked with you in the Lord. Stand up, Jacob. This right here, where we're both in the Lord, is whom you want to be in relationship with. Paul says, if you do, thank you, Jacob, if you do get in a relationship, only marry in the Lord. If you do. We've got to make the distinctions here between the virgin and the widow because the virgin is still at her father's disposal, but a widow now is free to make her decision. Paul says, no matter what though, I think you're going to be happier if you remain unmarried. So Paul gives some suggestions to singles. Hey, you want to remain maybe single because of the pressures of persecution, problems in the present, passing of possessions, preoccupation with pleasing, prohibition of parents, and the permanence of the promise. Oscar, if you and a team would come, I want to close this by just saying this to you. A pastor was in Kenya. And this pastor tells there of a man named Vincent who was convinced that God had given him the gift of singleness for a time. And this pastor met this man, Vincent, in Kenya, and they were going to school together in Uganda. And, and as they were in school, this, this pastor noticed that, that Vincent turned in a paper 
that he had written entitled The Single State. And here's some thoughts that this young man from Uganda said about his singleness. He said, I can have more time to devote to the Lord's work and potentially be less distracted from the cares of this life because I'm single. I'm free to take risks that a father might not take who is the whole family dependent on him, like traveling to a foreign land and doing risky things for Jesus. I have freedom to move around the world without having to pack up a household first. I can adapt to perilous situations like the rugged life among the primitive tribes or go to a guerrilla war zone or go to places with disease and famine because I'm single. The single state enables me to get the most out of the time God gives me for his work. And one of my chief delights is that I do not have to fit ministry around my family schedule. I care not where or how I live or the hardships I go through so that I may gain souls for Jesus. God is sovereign over who gets married and who doesn't. And he can be trusted to do what is good for me. I'm just telling you today, I'm not trying to distract you from anything. I'm just trying to tell you, this is what Paul is teaching. It may be wise for some of us to remain single. So some closing points of application. Can we do this as a church? No matter if you're married or no matter if you're single, can we treat each other with respect? Can we honor singles? Can we not shame them? But can we honor marriages and come alongside them? If you are single right now, can I just encourage you with all that is in me? Please don't seek to find a spouse. Please seek to be one. Focus your energy and time on just serving the Lord rather than seeking a man or a woman. And as you do, the Lord will bring you someone if that is what you're supposed to do. I promise you. Please, please, please hear me. Never ever get into a relationship with an unbeliever. Then if you're thinking about being married, can you serve the Lord better together than you could if you remain single? That's got to be a question we ask. And then with every relationship you enter into, do you see this one going for life? Because if not, not from the Lord, I'm just telling you. So I wonder if you just rise to your feet right now as we open, open up this altar. I don't know how the Lord's spoken to you this morning. I just know that He has because I trust His Word. There'll be some men and some others, maybe some women, some other people will be up here to receive you if you need to talk or pray about anything in any shape, form, or fashion. This altar is open for you. But let me just tell you again today, if you don't know the Lord Jesus you've never turned to him to ask you for the forgiveness of your sins, I want you to know he's ready, willing, and able to forgive you. If you just come today and say, I want to know this Jesus, I want to be forgiven, we can show you how. Let's pray and you come. Lord, would you move in great power in our hearts? And we pray it in Jesus' name.